0: Been here for a year. I haven't been in this chapel service for over a year, I believe. I think, Mister P- Mister Schrock, as we were looking at last year's schedule, didn't I do like just two days right at the beginning of the semester and got it out of the way and done with, or something like that? But uh, is this working? Is this off? See, yes. Freshmen freshmen don't know that I always do that. I I just can't handle like this thing staring right in my face. so. The rest of you remember me doing that, so amen. That's out of the way. 1 Timothy, though, we are going back to 1 Timothy. How many knew it was going to be 1 Timothy when they saw Pastor Rowling walk in here? 1 Timothy? That's right. I think your children, when they're here in chapel, (laughs) we might be in 2 Timothy by then, or maybe Titus, or we might still be, maybe it'd be 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because there's so much in this passage today. I don't know if we, in fact, I know that we're not going to get through all of it. I'm not even going to try. Um, but as I looked at these three verses, I thought, "What are in these for us?" Okay, God has me looking at these verses for college and high school chapel. So what's in here for us? If we, if I was going to pre- present this passage to a different group of people. I don't know, to a bunch of pastors, we might look at it differently. Okay. But one of the things that helps, me, helps guide us in our life is recognizing where God's put us. And he's, this passage is for this room. And so we look, I looked at it that way and thought, what does this mean? And, um, and I, I'm excited about what is here for us. Verse 18, 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 18. Yeah, we're still in chapter one. Next time will be next time will be chapter two. But first Timothy Chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom Is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your word is everything that we need to know. If we will understand what you have for us there, and then obey it, to be able to have peace and joy in our life, in our heart, regardless of what's going on around us or to us. Um, Most of us live in still live in sheltered circumstances. But the world and the devil and our own flesh calls and tells us that life is hard. But Lord, you've put us here. And if we will do what you say, we can have peace and joy and victory in the circumstances that we're in. Father, today I'd like to get out of the way, but I'd like to be your instrument of showing us what's in these verses, and understanding how they apply to us, and challenging us to follow the instruction and the exhortation that you have for us, that we can get from Timothy and Paul. I pray that because of what's said here this morning, you would receive praise and glory, and we would better be able to live lives that give you praise and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I know I've said this here before, but every time I think of this circumstance and this book, I think of an old friend who wrote these words. I don't even know if he put them into print, but he said them all the time. Here we are at Fairhaven College, where Timothy came to gain all his knowledge. He hit his studies, he hit his books, it helped his grades, but not his looks. Yes. A man that was here years back, Larry Crawford, was a bus captain here, and he liked to play with poetry, and he would say that. Often, I got to ride with him in circumstances, we'd pull into the driveway and say, here we are, like, well, here we are, and then he'd keep going. And uh, so, I don't, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're saying today, except it does talk about Timothy. Timothy, of course, didn't come here, but there are a lot of Timothys here. There are a lot of Timothys here. And I hope to show you that from Scripture this morning. Each of you, each of you, and each of you should think of yourself as a Timothy. I hope to show you that that's true and encourage you to follow Paul's challenge to Timothy for yourself. In verse 18, the Bible says, the Scriptures say, "...this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare." So this charge, this uh, this charge, the words there don't refer to something new. Paul has already given Timothy a charge. He started in verse 3, he continued it kind of in verse 5 and maybe elaborated some in verse 8, but this, ch- the charge that he gave him at the beginning of the chapter, and of course he didn't write chapters, but way back earlier, he he, he got into that, he gave some personal recollections and some other things, and he's coming back to the point of his letter to Timothy, this charge that we've already been talking about, um, which was to resist false teachers, and which was to remember that the commandment is good. That charge. And I'm not even going to talk about that. If you want to hear about that, look at a past message for chapel. But um, just so we can understand what, what Paul is saying here, this charge that we've been talking about, I commit unto these. He's entrusting it. To him, he's saying, "I'm giving this to you. You have something to do with it." And it says, "Son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee." Um, so, according to the prophecies, I've kind of studied this a little bit, and it seems like this doesn't just include actual prophecies. Uh, when 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 Timothy was alive, there were prophets around. Uh, there was apostles and prophets evangelists, pastors and teachers. But there were still apostles around. Paul was an apostle, James, John, Peter. And there were prophets. You remember the prophet by the name of Agabus. He shows up a couple times in Acts. So there might have been, and and, uh, there were seven men who were prophets at the church at Antioch. Among them Barnabas and Saul, they were prophets. So there there could have been prophets there uh, at the early time in Timothy's life. But, but this, this language here doesn't restrict this idea to only prophets. In fact, it could just mean um, prophecies in the sense of natural predictions or desires. It could mean, look at Timothy. I can tell he's going to grow up to be something. It could be uh, the people in the church at Iconium and Lystra. They saw Timothy doing things that he's going to grow up to be something. He's going to end up doing something big in his life. Paul comes back through, sees Timothy, and receives a good report from those of Iconium and Lystra. It could be, and I don't mean that it might have been, I'm just saying it actually could be even this. A mom and a grandma that says, here's Timothy. We want him to grow up to be something. We're going to give him instruction in the word of God. That from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Remember the faith that is in thee, and in thy mother, and in thy grandmother. So Tim, these predictions, these prophecies, these expectations can re- really, the scriptures allow for this and I think that for us today we should understand it this way that Timothy's mother and grandmother had expectations for him and that's why they gave him, the ed- made sure he got the education that he had. Timothy's fellow believers saw and therefore expected him to do things um, with his life, for the Lord. And Paul says to Timothy, "Remember, everything that's been put into your life, remember what people have expected from you? Now's when you need them. I'm giving you a charge. I'm entrusting it to you, and I'm entrusting it to you because you've had a life that prepared you for this. By the prophecies that were set on you before. By the expectations of your mom and your grandmother. By the, by the expectations of your fellow church members. By those that were there. Because we do know there's times when, when he was, the hands laid on him in that. But by all of those things, because of these things, I'm committing this to you. He had been given good training. Second Timothy 1, two one and three fifteen. He had shown his seriousness and prudence. He was well reported of by the other believers. And so then Paul says, because of those things, by that thou, by them, by these, by the encouragement of those predictions, by the challenge that those prophecies, by the, um, uh, by the exhorting or by the uh, any of the pushing you of the expectations of others by those and so what he's saying is let those godly expectations propel you strengthen your resolve excite you to fulfill them by those things you might war a good warfare that thou by them the prophecies the expectations that had been put on him earlier by those He might war a good warfare. So there can be a war that's good. Some war is not. But this war is a good warfare. Some fighting is good. Some fighting is not. Some fighting is useless. But there is good fighting. But he didn't say just fight the good fight. He said you're going to war a good warfare. War is more than a battle. Warfare is a series of battles. It's a series of fights. Right? All the guys know, know some war. I, I think that's a proper generalization to make. All the guys know some war that is your, like your favorite one to study. It's the Civil War, it's World War I, it's World War II, it's whatever, some European war. Um, But these wars, were not continuously pulling the trigger on a on a gun, or whatever. There was a battle, and then there was some strategy, and then there was another battle, and then another battle, and either somebody won. Well, well, somebody won and somebody lost until we get into our ungodly time of the last fifty years. But um, anyway, so but some fighting is good. There's warfare as a series of battle for. But warfare is also, because it's a series of battles, warfare is a frame of mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Probably before any of you were born now, our president announced a war on terrorism. A war on terror. The planes flew into the, the Twin Towers, they they fell to the ground. We're going we're gonna to wage war against terror. And because he used that terminology, Americans said, okay. And the government said, because we're waging war on terror, we now are going to implement these policies. So anytime you fly, it's way different than before you were born. Why? Because we were told we have a mindset of war. Uh, that's just a minor inconvenience if we're really at war. But the point being, warfare is a mindset. If you read about World War II, lots of men went to war. And so what happened? Women moved into the workforce. Why? Because we're at war. We're gonna do whatever it takes. Okay. We're going to collect rubber. We're going to collect metal and all this, you know, towns all over the country. Their whole frame of mind is, we're at war. It changed the way they thought. And we're at war. We can't go through life thinking it's not a war. Then let's move along. First Timothy 1.19. So, we're in the middle of this sentence. He says that thou, by some might, war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Holding faith. The idea of those words are um, not holding the faith, like knowing my doctrine. It's being faithful. Holding faith as a characteristic quality. Being faithful. Not a betrayer. If you're in war, you need to be loyal. You have to be faithful. You can't be a, a traitor, a betrayer. So, holding faith, sticking to it. Uh, sticking to what? We'll talk about it. But sticking to what you, the, the way you've been trained. You've had prophecies and predictions and expectations placed upon you. Hold on to those. Faithfully hold on to them. Don't betray them. And... A good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. A good conscience is one that is informed about what is right. And what would it be? What informs us about what is right? The scriptures. The Bible. Not me. Not my feelings. Not my circumstances. So a good conscience is one that is well informed about what is right and about what behavior honestly follows what's right so my conscience knows what's right and knows how to follow what's right do what's right so holding faith and a good conscience which some have put away having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck so some people don't hold faith or a good conscience some have put away. They have a conscience, but they've put it away. The word put away has the idea of thrusting away. Just getting rid of it. I don't know that that happens in that way. It is the effect of what happens, but first it starts out like um, just ignoring conscience. Almost every single one of you has been trained For years, by the Bible, your conscience has been trained for years, by the Bible, you should know in all the different circumstances that you're in, or virtually all, almost all of them, what to do, but we get into a circumstance and we ignore our conscience Uh, Ah, I want to anyway, right? So we ignore it. And then we ignore it again. And then we begin to just choose self and the flesh over conscience. That's actually what's happening when we ignore it, but we make it more of a practice. We indulge the self, we indulge the flesh, and pretty soon our conscience doesn't have any power over us, doesn't have any influence over us. We might remember a time when our conscience did, but in that sad condition, we're glad not to have it bothering us anymore. But the problem with that is, those that put away conscience shipwreck their lives. Which some, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now, you might look at somebody and say, Well, they put away all that, and look at the car they drive, and look at the house they live in. But that's not the area of shipwreck. The verse says concerning the faith have made shipwreck. You can have the best car, and the most money, and all of the luxuries, and fancies, and electronics, and whatever else you want. But if your faith is shipwrecked, you're lost. You're lost. Your life is destroyed. And in in these days, ships were made of wood, right? Imagine a ship dashed on the rocks. You're not piecing that back together. It's a life that's ruined. You put aside, put away your conscience and your loyalty to what's right. Put that away. You make your faith, a sh- you shipwreck your faith. Of whom, verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul continues and gives the names of some specific men, which is uh, interesting. Uh, many people think that we shouldn't name specific people. Uh, We should be careful about naming specific people. If we only have one side of the story or, or something like that, we shouldn't slander or defame somebody when we don't know what's going on. But clearly, Paul wasn't doing that. He named these men specifically, and he said he was delivering them to Satan. Now, this is a hard phrase to really understand what it means, but here's my conclusion of what it means. He kicked them out of the church. Not of his own will, The Bible explains how somebody has to be dismissed from the church. But think about how serious Paul looked at being kicked out of the church. A lot of people think, well, I'm glad to be out of there. But Paul said, if you're out of the church, you've been delivered to Satan. We tend to think that we're strong Christians, and we can live our Christian life however we want. we got the Bible. I can read the Bible however I want. I can interpret however I want. I can do what I think is right. It doesn't matter what that church thinks or this church thinks. I can just make all my own decisions. But God puts you in a church, and if it turns out that you have to be dismissed from that church, and that would be because you're not in line with the church's covenant and beliefs, Paul looks at that as being delivered to Satan. It shouldn't be like, well, I'm finally free. I can go do what I want. You're free to what? Free to, for, with, to, to be under the attack of Satan with no protection or encouragement from believers. Released from the care and custody of your church. So Paul said, I've delivered them to Satan. Um, where did that page go? Oh. Um, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So the point of that is to restore them. That's what discipline's point is for for restoration. It's not for final destruction. It's for restoration. Even here, this strong phrase of delivering to Satan was so that they could learn to stop what they're doing. So let's think through this in relationship to us. I'm going to call this my explanation. That was just interpretation, what's there. Now let's develop this a little bit. Paul, as I kind of hinted toward already, Paul appeals to Timothy's past prophecies to encourage his present action. He says, remember what was done back there? Remember what happened in your past? Use that now. Remember that? Do this. Look at the past, the things that were prophesied upon you, by them, accept and fulfill this charge, that I'm, this duty that I'm giving you. It may be different. I'm sorry, it may be difficult, but this is what you've been prepared for. Here we are. Do this. It's going to be hard, but remember, that's why you're here. This is what you've been prepared for. This is what everybody expected. All along. Paul assumes, secondly, that Christian life is warfare. It's warfare. It's a good warfare. It's an honorable cause, fought in an honorable way. But it's warfare. One battle, after another, after another, after another. Will there be a time when we don't fight? Yes. When the whatever, I don't know, it might even have referred to it, when the days of this life are o'er and we all fly away, then the battles will be over. Then the war will be done. But there's one battle after another, after another, after another. You're going to fight if you're going to live for the Lord. it won't be a continuous battle. It's a war. There'll be a battle... And with the Lord's help, you can win, then you regroup, recover, re-strengthen yourself. And lo and behold, here comes another battle. Sometimes they'll come, probably most of the time, they come quicker than you want them to, sooner than you want them to. But it's war. It's a good war. And then, Paul Expects Timothy to be loyal, faithful, and sold out, we might say. He expects him to do this. I'm giving you this according to. According to. Because of. you getting this because of that. He expects him to war, to hold on to the faith, to have a good conscience, Um, to be sold out, keeping, uh, and and to be sold out, loyal, faithful, and keeping a good conscience. Guarding his, keeping it, guarding it, nourishing his conscience, applying his conscience, following his conscience. Uh, We could, if if we haven't guarded our conscience, if we haven't taught our conscience, then our conscience shouldn't be our guide, as Jiminy Cricket said. But, If we have allowed the Bible and our parents' godly instruction and our pastors' preaching and and all of that to fill our mind and teach us to think the way the Bible does, then we we should follow our conscience. And in fact, we should do more than that. So, by remembering the expectations of him, loyally following the teaching he received, And cultivating a good conscience, Timothy could wage a good warfare against evil. And so can we. So now what do we do with this? First, as I said in the beginning, every one of you has a Timothy quality. Every one of you. So none of us are Timothy. He died a long time ago. But even though he died a long time ago, God preserved this book to him so that we could read it and learn from it. And every one of us has a Timothy quality. Every one of you, there are spiritual hopes, predictions, prophecies, expectations on your life. Every one of you. People expect things of you. The title of my message, Living Up to Expectations. Paul said, you've had these expectations, now it's time to live up to them. And every one of you has expectations on your life. From your parents, your parents have expectations for you. Most of you, your parents had such great expectations for you that they put you in a Christian school. Say, I don't know what my parents expect from me. Well, they expect you to have a Christian education. They put you in a Christian school. Well, I don't like it here. Live up to your expectations. How do we know that Timothy had expectations? His mother and his grandmother taught him. You have expectations on you from your teachers. Your teachers, regardless, Sunday school teacher, junior church teacher, Bible class teacher, math class teacher, whatever, whatever class teacher, your teachers have expectations. They do expect you to do the work in their class, but the expectations are way more than that, and you need to live up to them. Well, why do do I have to live up to his expectations or her expectations? They're just that somehow you ended up in their class. How did that happen to, to, to be? How did you happen to end up in my class or in Mr. Schrock's class or in Mrs. Mitchell's class? How did you end up there? Was it a strange coincidence of fate? The stars lined up a certain way and all of a sudden you ended up there? No, we know the answer, don't we? God puts you there. So there's no getting out of it. God puts you there. How about from your pastors? Your pastors have expectations of you, spiritual hopes for you, your parents, from your teachers, from your pastors, even from other church members. And we're probably sitting here, some of us sitting here, or at some point saying... Why does everybody think they can tell me what I should be doing? Who does he think he is to tell me how I should live? Why does why does that person think they should tell me how to live? That's the way God made it. That's the way he made it. God made life this way. You know when you were born? You remember how much you knew? Nothing. You knew nothing when you were born. And he gave you these people to guide you. He gave you these people to guide you. You could have been born in a different country. That's not good or bad. The point is you were born here or wherever you were born. You were born into your family God knew that. He didn't make a mistake. And the expectations of your parents, he expects you to keep them, live up to them. He put you in this school. That could have happened a lot of different ways. You guys, some of you grew up here, some of you not. Whatever you want to blame, like if you're here and you don't like it, and I don't know anybody that does, but let's just say I'm here and like, I wish I wasn't here You know, if it wasn't for this, this, and this, I wouldn't be here. Guess what? Where are you? Who did that? Yeah. God put you here to learn from this, this place. This place has expectations on you. Live up to your expectations. God put you here. Whether you're from a Christian home or not. Somehow God worked it out for you to be here. Live up to your expectations. He gave you the pastors that you have. All you guys, you're pastors from back home. The pastor that we have here. The other pastors that are here. I don't like the way they preach. Doesn't matter. At, At our stage in our lives, doesn't matter. We're not to the point where we can... Um, biblically evaluate the situation we're in and decide that we should go to another place which is how it's rarely done even when somebody has the ability to do it but we're not in that situation we're here listen to your pastor he gave you that pastor And this is more for over here, and even some of you aren't part of this church. But if you're part of this church, especially if you grew up here, God put you in this church. At other churches, they do it differently. Can't wait till I can go and do it the, the way they do it over there. Uh, that's not the point. If God wanted you to do it the way they do it over there, he'd have put you over there. Right? say Pastor Rowling you're saying god did who who did it who did it who done it is anything does god make any mistakes god makes no mistakes we can look at a physical infirmity we can look at my wife that's one of her favorite songs no left hand but god makes no mistakes we can see that in a physical infirmity But in my circumstances, I'm in this school, I wish I could go somewhere else. No reason to go somewhere else. God didn't make a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. He put you here. God put you in this one. So all of those people put expectations on your life. Because of the expectations, they put things into your life. They teach you, to some extent or another. They try to prepare you. Take that. Paul says, according to the prophecies which are on you. Take this, this charge, I'm giving it to you, according to the prophecies that are on you. Every one of you is in a war. Every one of you is in a war. You're in a war if, if, we're, if, if, if with nothing else, with yourself. Because we're all sinners. We're all human beings bent toward rebellion against God. And in your mind and in your heart, you don't like what I've said today. Not all of you. But some of you don't. You're like, I don't like that. I want to be faithful to myself. But the Word of God says, teaches us to be faithful to what God has put into our life. And that might be your battle. And if you win that battle, there'll be another battle. We all have to fight. It's a battlefield. We need to be fighting. And every one of us must be faithful to God. Holding faith. Holding faith. That's the way we should live. Faithfully. Faithful to God. Which means faithful to your parents' godly instruction. It means being faithful to your parents' godly instruction. It means being faithful to your teacher's Christian education. It means being faithful to your pastor's preaching, his reproof, his rebuke, his correction, his doctrine... Being faithful to God means being faithful to that. It means being faithful to your church members, your brethren's exhortation. Ah, Don't get me wrong. Every one of those are human beings and they can make mistakes. But little nuances of difference is not a mistake. That's God's plan. He's not surprised by it. So we all must be faithful. We hold faith. We've been given expectations, prophecies, predictions, things that God's people thought we would become, we're to hold faithfully because of that. And keep a good conscience. Every one of us must keep a good conscience. A good conscience would be one that could be described in a number of ways, but besides the others, it could be described this We're going to take what we know is right and push it into all the corners of our life. Spread it out. Now, our human flesh doesn't want to do that. Let's take, for example, uh, a rule that we might have in our house. I heard someone talking about this, and it's a perfect rule, so it's a perfect example. So I'm just going to steal his. Mom might say, No jumping on the couch. Right? And what will we do? We will jump on the love seat. We will take the cushions off the couch, put them on the floor, and jump on them. We will take the cushions out in the driveway and and do something with them out there, but we did not jump on the couch. That's sinful human nature. It's the silly couch illustrations. But how many times in our minds, when somebody said, you shouldn't have done that, you said, well, it wasn't exactly what you said not to do. But I didn't. I did what you said. No. A good conscience takes the rule, takes the command, and spreads it into all the corners of your life. A conscience that's looking for excuses says, oh, here's the rule. So, you know, no, whatever. Whatever the rule is, well, that means I can do this and this and this. The wrong conscience says that. A good conscience says, okay, that's the rule. Hmm. How how does my mom want me to live in the house? Okay, or whatever. That's just a simple, silly, but hopefully eye-opening example. So many of us, we're looking at this rule, this rule, this rule. I've I've kept, I, I I only got one demerit all year. But I end up, my life ends up being a horrible example of Christian living. But I never got any demerits. That's not a good conscience. That's not an obedient, chilled child. That's somebody that kept specific rules. And that's not the way we're to live. Not if we're going to do live up to the expectation. You say, I don't want to have these expectations. Talk to God about it. He puts you where you are. You can obey particularly and not obey. Or you can obey fully and not need any commandments. Or very few. Psalm 16, just in conclusion. Psalm 16, and I can't read the whole psalm, but Psalm 16, verse 5 says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. Where are you right now? Who put you there? The Lord. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. And of my cup, I have this. It's from the Lord. Thou maintainest my lot. I live right here. Who who maintains that lot that I'm in? These circumstances. You do. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines, the boundaries that I have are fall unto me in pleasant places. Pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Every one of us. I have a goodly heritage. A heritage is something given to us that we're responsible for. It's not something that we can, give and do, give, we can take and do whatever we want with it. I have this heritage. It came to me from the Lord. I have a good heritage. I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. From who? Oh, from my parents, from my pastor, from my teachers, from other Christians. My reigns, and this is a word that can refer to our conscience, my reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I'll be able to stand against whatever enemy is there. A few verses later, the psalmist says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You want a life of joy and pleasure? Be right by God. Be right by God. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. So whatever it is you're going through, whether it's a difficulty or a spiritual challenge, God put you here. He has what you need here through your parents, your teachers, your pastors, your counselors to, to, to succeed, to war a good warfare, live up to your expectations. This life that God gave us is the good life.